Good evening. I'm Danny Martin, the pastor in residence here at Five Oaks Church. Very glad to see all of you here with us this evening and glad to be seen by all of you watching online. I think Mom and Mima are watching tonight. Good evening, Mom and Mima. <laughs> we call today Good Friday. On Good Friday, we remember that a man named Yeshua, who we call Jesus, was betrayed by his friends, falsely convicted of crimes at a sham trial without due process, beaten bloody with whips, mocked as he suffered, and under pressure from a mob, killed in one of the most brutal methods of public execution ever devised, crucifixion. That doesn't sound good. That sounds bad. Why don't we call it Bad Friday? We know our business here at church. We know that the three busiest holiday weekends for church attendance in the U.S. are this weekend, Christmas, and Mother's Day. <laughs> Mama wants you to go to church. You must oblige her in the immortal words of Mr. T, treat your mother right. <laughs> so we know that many of you are guests here treating your mother right, and we're glad to host you. And I want to make sure in this time we have together to say some things that are very, very important. So here's a question. If this day is a day when so much bad happened, why do we call it good? Why memorialize someone's murder on a wooden cross? Why do church people wear crosses around their necks? It's the thing that killed Jesus. You wouldn't wear a little electric chair pendant, would you? I propose three reasons why we call today Good Friday, not Bad Friday. The first reason is that everything we described about Jesus' death is true. It's true? Wouldn't that make it worse Friday? No. It is very good that the life of Jesus is historical. Many voices in our culture tell us that the life of Jesus is like the life of Luke Skywalker a long time ago, far, far away. These voices say, don't bother asking about the where or the when of Jesus' life. That's like asking which exit to take for Neverland. Jesus is just a good role model. Easter egg hunts are fun. Don't take it all so seriously. But Jesus did not live in made-up places once upon a time. Jesus lived in real places you can go. Jesus talked with real people you can look up. The eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life are not fables. Jesus is not a fictional character like Luke Skywalker or Cinderella or Superman. He is a real figure of history. You could devote the rest of your life to studying this topic at the highest level, 
and after you spent way too much money at college doing that, you would conclude along with the overwhelming majority of both religious and non-religious Bible scholars that Jesus is a real person. So save yourself $100,000 in student loan debt. You can believe that Jesus was a real person in real places in real time. You should believe it. Scholars don't disagree about whether or not Jesus existed or that he was crucified. They don't even disagree that Jesus was buried in a tomb later found empty. That many people sincerely believe they saw him after he died or that his students were so committed to what they had witnessed that all of them preferred to die rather than to say that they had not seen him alive after he died. Religious and non-religious scholars are generally in consensus about everything I just said. The disagreements concern what best explains these things. If you've never thought long and hard about this, you need to. And if you want to learn more about it, well, I've only got 20 minutes. So you're going to have to come back Sunday. That's 8.45, 10, 11, 15. We'll see you there. So maybe it's true. It still sounds like Bad Friday. The second reason we call it Good Friday, not Bad Friday, is that Jesus died on purpose. It might not be obvious why it being on purpose makes it good, but stick with me. Jesus grew up in a small town in Israel called Nazareth about 2,000 years ago. He practiced carpentry and had no more or less education or religious training than anyone else in his social class. At about the age of 30, Jesus began traveling throughout the land of Israel to teach. He taught the Jewish holy writings with impressive authority given his humble upbringing and soon inspired students to travel with him. The eyewitnesses to these events also tell us that as Jesus traveled, he healed people, even people born with conditions like blindness. The witnesses record that on several occasions, Jesus actually manipulated the laws of nature by controlling the weather, spontaneously changing matter, and reviving a person who had been dead for days. When the students saw these things, they concluded that Jesus was God's chosen one, the Mashiach, we say Messiah, and that he would lead an uprising to overthrow the Roman Empire that had conquered Israel. As the Messiah, Jesus would surely liberate Israel and restore the Jewish people's independent kingdom. Israel's religious leaders also knew of the Messiah promised in their holy writings. And the reports of Jesus' healings and his growing following soon elevated him from annoying to dangerous. They viewed Jesus as a threat to their authority and to the tense peace with Rome. They said, here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. 
And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. But Jesus never said he came to overthrow Rome. So as that question of what Jesus was really about moved more and more to the fronts of everybody's minds, Jesus then started telling his closest students that his mission was to bring forth the kingdom of God. Sounded good, they were tracking. And he would bring it forth by dying. Uh, yes, hi Jesus. Not a political science major here, but how are you gonna start a kingdom if the king is dead? Jesus' students had left their jobs and families to travel around Israel with him. They had witnessed him do amazing things that no normal human being could do. They themselves had done amazing things that Jesus empowered them to do. So when Jesus started saying that his goal was to die, well, that wasn't what folks signed up for. And out of Jesus' students, the one who always seemed to open his mouth first was Simon Peter. So Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. It means tempter. He calls him tempter because Simon Peter is unknowingly suggesting that Jesus not complete his real mission. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus said that he was indeed a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. He would establish this kingdom not through a military uprising, but through his own purposeful death. Jesus' death was not a miscalculation, overstep, or mistake. Jesus was not surprised by his betrayal. The crucifixion didn't happen to Jesus like a car accident might happen to us. He positioned himself in a garden to be betrayed and arrested at just the right time. As that moment approached, he said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, by which he means God, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Even though this troubled Jesus, he went forward because it was his mission. Jesus' death is surely one of history's best examples of courage and sacrifice. Yet it was not about courage and sacrifice. It was about establishing a kingdom. If you're curious where this kingdom is, you don't need to pull up Google Maps. You only have to look around at the people in the seats in this room. Depending on how you were raised, you might think the word church means a religious building no one wants to be in for longer than an hour. <laughs> it has certainly taken on the meaning of religious building over the centuries, but originally it simply meant assembly of people, regardless of where they assembled. 
The people in Jesus' time were obsessed with a kingdom that had geographic borders. But no real or imagined barriers mark off Jesus' kingdom. It's not contained in any single place. It has no official language. It belongs to no tax bracket, nation, or culture. No people owns a monopoly on it because it is for anyone who will accept its king. Jesus said that when he would be lifted up on the cross during his crucifixion, he would, in so doing, draw all people to himself. This was a very different kingdom than what anyone at the time imagined. On any given weekend, right here at Five Oaks, we have followers of Jesus from all over the United States, from Long Island to the Hawaiian Islands, and that's just my marriage. (laughs) We have many languages and ethnicities represented here at Five Oaks. We have people from North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia. If you have any friends from Australia, send them over. We need to round out our roster. The reason our church looks like this is that Jesus' kingdom is not a place but a people. His kingdom has no human borders. As wise and useful and transformative as Jesus' teachings are, nobody gains access to his kingdom by memorizing and following Jesus' teachings like we might memorize and follow every law. It's not even possible to do this. If you read through the Bible, you'll find that God is constantly giving people do-overs. Even the heroes of the Bible mess up. Except Jesus. This is what makes Jesus and his death so unique. The third reason that today is Good Friday, not Bad Friday, is that Jesus died on purpose for us. His death is unique because he's the only person who could die on purpose for all of us. It wasn't a self-righteous death to make a point or just a noble example of courage. It's actually how we gain citizenship into Jesus' kingdom. And the citizenship test for Jesus' kingdom is holiness. Half of us hear this and think, great, I'm a moral person. The good I do outweighs the bad. So that's handled. And the other half of us hear this and think, I've done so many bad things in my life. I am so unholy. Jesus would never let me into his kingdom. Both of these views are misplaced because both of them assume that holiness is about our moral behavior. But holiness doesn't begin with being a good person because it's not a category of what we do. It's a category of what we are. Holiness in the Bible means separate. The word that, we, that holiness comes from means to cut something and separate it out. And God is essentially holy or separate. And we are not essentially holy which means that God is separate from us. And we can't do anything to make ourselves like him. 
Jesus died on purpose for us so that he could give us his holiness so that we won't be separate from God any longer. This is God's free gift to everyone who will believe that Jesus is who he says he was. The Messiah isn't only the chosen savior of the nation of Israel, he's the chosen savior of all humanity, the whole world. That's why Jesus said, the son of man, Jesus, must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus offers us eternal citizenship in his kingdom, an unhindered relationship with God, and the promise of eternal life with him. It is God's free gift to anyone who will turn from their own way and believe in Jesus. But we all have to decide on our own. Young people, this is not a decision your parents make for you. Married folks, this is not a decision your spouse makes for you. It's not about your family upbringing. Mom was Catholic, dad was Lutheran. They decided nobody would be happy and raised us Presbyterian. <laughs> I guess that makes me Jesus' disciple. We must all decide for ourselves to believe Jesus is who he said he is and to follow him ourselves. God has so much more for us than what our personal histories would promise. We don't have to keep running on the hamster wheels in our lives, making the same mistakes over and over with the same people, with the same results. You can get off the hamster wheel today. You can be forgiven of the things you will not forgive yourself of today. Holiness being right with God is not about our failures. It's about Jesus' victory for us. You have to embrace it. Whether your life is generally all right and you're just tired of going through the motions or you're running in the hamster wheel and you're sick and tired of that, come to Jesus. His life is not a fairy tale. It is not too good to be true, and his invitation is open to all of us. Discover a life of purpose, meaning, goodness, service, and community with God and his people, paid in full at Jesus' expense. It's good news. It's why today is not bad Friday, but good Friday. And even though today is the day, we remember that Jesus died every week through communion. So let's take it together.
The scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Let's eat it together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink together. The scripture tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again.